Hi, this is Serena Sun with Breaking Taboo, founder and director of Mental Health Organization on Mental Health Awareness and Suicide Prevention. Welcome to our audio video podcast. Today, I am sitting here with Daniel Jones, who is a YouTube and Instagram influencer, amongst uh, many other things. Also, just found out he is in a band uh, called uh, What the Straight Jackets Legends. Is that what it's called? Did I get Legends. it right? Yes, yeah. the Straight Jacket yeah. Legends. You did, yeah. <laughs> and he has a uh, YouTube channel called The Aspie World. So how are you doing today, Daniel? I'm doing all right, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I've been in meetings all day um, because I've been doing like a virtu virtual event today. So I've been in meetings all day. So but oh, I'm wow. okay. I'm, I'm well, all good. What yeah. kind of virtual event? Um, so over here in the UK, there's a YouTube um, or like an online video um, conference called uh, Summer in the City, and it's normally in London, um, and they do one in Birmingham now in the winter. But um, yeah, I, I was talking at the, on the panels last year. So this this year, obviously because of coronavirus, they didn't have any actual you know physical event, but they did have this like backstage thing because obviously a lot of the networking happens backstage. So I just booked meetings with like Lego and stuff like that, just so I could you know oh, get the awesome. networking feels out. That's yeah. awesome. Good for you. That is so cool. Is Thank this for the Aspie world? It is indeed, yeah. Okay, cool. So tell us, uh, what is the Aspie world? What do you talk about there? And uh, what does the name mean for everyone that doesn't know? <laughs> cool. So um, so the name, the Aspie world, um, it was just a, you know, I, I, I didn't expect the channel to get as big as it is or it's become a business slash empire, which I'm growing right now. So it was just something that I threw together. Um, and Aspie is short for Asperger's and Asperger's obviously is a, an old kind of um, nomenclature for a diagnosis of autism. So um, that's what that's what the Aspie comes from. But the Aspie world was just something that fun I just threw together. That's weird, isn't it? Um, but basically what I do and what the Aspie world is, is we are an online educational entertainment um, beacon for um or an outlet for for information on autism and adhd dyslexia mental health you know you name it you know we do everything and so i am um, i'm also a published author i have some books out uh, in like three languages um we, we've won awards now with the aspie world which is pretty cool um and i literally just make video content uh, on all platforms you can think of every social media platform i'm on it i've got it and we're putting content on it daily that's awesome. And you basically just talk about um, these types of mental health issues like Asperger's and ADHD. And is that because uh, do you have Asperger's? So, yeah, so I have a clinical diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome, ADHD, OCD and dyslexia. Uh, among other things like sensory processing disorder, depression, stress, anxiety, alopecia, eczema. So it's like there's a bunch of different things that come with it because it's all comorbid. Um, and so I, I, I started off talking about these conditions um, from my point of view, just putting my thoughts down on video, but then it, it's grown into me creating hacks and, and tips and tricks and, you know, helping people. And so now we've even started, um, I've made a course. I did like a beta launch on a course um, called Coping Secrets. And um, and that was really cool. So uh, the feedback was great. So we're going to go full launch soon. So I'm just taking kind of like, you know, uh, uh, people to put on my list for the for the pre-launch but it's um yeah it's kind of it's crazy how it's moved from just being something an outlet for me to talk about a condition to being somewhere where like uh, you know I'm helping people now and creating these like courses to actually empower people which is amazing 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's so important, like I always say, to to humanize these topics. And I think people really uh, look for that to feel less alone. You know, there are a lot of people out there who has Asperger's syndrome. Uh, and I did notice that you say Asperger's and I say Asperger's. And that's something that I often wonder, which yeah. one is it? In fact, I've looked it up on YouTube before and, and I went on one of those YouTube videos and pronunciation and it said Asperger's. However, you know, you're the one that has it. <laughs> you call it Asperger's. So um, what are your thoughts on that? I say Asperger's because um, I'm British. So that's how we say it. And, that's just actually, how you say it. Oh. Right, Asperger. Yeah, but, but, but Asperger is because is it comes from a gentleman called Hans Asperger, who was doing uh, information and research on the behavior of children in the 1940s. So Hans Asperger is a German, was a German physician, kind of like psychologist. And of course, he, he's German, so it was like Hans Asperger. So it is Asperger, but okay. because... Um, Obviously, I'm I'm British and, and everything's kind of like it's got a bit of different accent. So I say Asperger and just by default because that's what I go to. But it's funny actually. So Asperger syndrome, uh, Asperger syndrome has been removed from the naming convention and it's now replaced with just ASD, which is Autism Spectrum Disorder. So and and you're right. When Sorry, you could you say that again? Autism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Autism ASD. Spectrum Disorder. Okay. Yeah. But it's funny because it's because one in a hundred people in the United Kingdom are diagnosed with autism, and one in sixty in the United States. So there's a lot of people, you know, with with the condition. Yeah. So um, I mean, I'm I'm familiar with uh, autism to a certain extent. Uh, I did do um, music therapy. I did uh, think about becoming a music therapist for for a while, actually, back when I was studying psychology. Uh, and music therapy primary primarily deals with um, autism. Uh, because it's been shown that music therapy it works extremely well with like cue recognition and emotion emotions and um, especially in children with uh, autism, whereas, you know, other traditional types of therapy really doesn't work. Uh, so that's pretty fascinating. Also, you know, with um, the elderly as well, of course, you know, music therapy can have just an amazing effect on memory recognition and cognition and, and all sorts of things. Um, but uh, yeah, but um, as for as for you, I mean, Asperger's is is a, um, uh, I guess I would describe it as a lighter form of autism. Um, I mean, do you think that's a correct way? Yeah, of... it's, di it's difficult, yeah. Yeah, yeah how would you describe to, to it? So basically, so, so people used, to, yeah, so people used to say high functioning, low functioning, so, and then they split them into like, you know, classic autism, Asperger's syndrome. And so all, the, all of this was quite ambiguous. So not very simple, they just, they, they base it on the amount of support one needs. So they say you have low support needs or high support needs. So Asperger's syndrome technically requires lower support needs. So, you know, I don't need help with, um, you know, uh, you know, brushing my teeth or getting dressed in the morning, but some children do, you know, or some, mm -hmm. some other adults on the spectrum do, but I do have issues with, um, you know, executive function or issues with, uh, you know, remembering to eat or remembering to drink water or, you know, getting to somewhere on time, navigating around, you know, understanding what people are saying to me in, in social conversations and stuff. So it's funny um, because a lot of people, you know, we used to say high functioning, low functioning, but a lot of autistic people don't like those, those um, uh, I don't even want to call them uh, functioning labels because they feel almost like it, it, it puts them in like a different, like a, a box, like a subcategory box. Um, I actually don't have any issues with, you know, it's just people trying to relate to the information. You know, it's hard to discuss, but of course it is a sensitive topic and we do have to, um, 
remember people's uh, you know sensitivity to to the subject but um that that's how you'd say it you know so technically asperger's syndrome or, or, or my type of autism is a uh, lower support needs uh, condition right and you um you know i mean to use that label you seem like an extremely high functioning um person i mean you obviously you know you're in a band you're doing all this stuff and you're you know like you said you're creating an empire um so are people usually surprised when they find out that you have asperger's or i mean is it do you feel like sometimes people can tell or no i mean it's it's difficult so if you met me you can tell you can tell with some people um, i'm lucky it's kind of funny actually because um, if you if you lived with me, you'd tell instantly, you know. But if you met me after a couple of hours, you'd realize because I don't I have a really big issue making eye contact, um, and if uh, and and obviously I have real big sensory issues. I um, I have a lot of social anxiety, um, and then I can I always have triggered meltdowns when I'm out in public. I can't go to cities, agoraphobia, you know, those kind of things. So you notice those hallmarks. You know, I'm sitting in my office right now talking to you, and I love doing piece to camera work and. You know, when I first started doing this type of work, you could tell straight off the bat because I had no training, but practice makes progress. And so now I have been learning how to talk to a camera, how to discuss things in interviews, um, because I've, with my book, when I launched my book, before I got to the book stage, when I did all my Star Wars stuff, because I'm, I'm like a, my book's about Star Wars and things, um, I did a lot of press interviews. I've been in like Time Magazine, I've been on every television network in the world, and uh, yeah, I was interviewed by Piers Morgan. So I've had a lot of training with media. So it's funny when people see me on camera, it's different to when they meet me in person. Um, and um, it's, uh, I, I would say that it's, for, for the things that I'm doing, it's hyper-focusing. I'm, I'm super interested in, in the way things work because social media is algorithmic changes, which is a mathematical problem versus solution scenario. And I love that. I absolutely... Uh, I'm absolutely obsessed with it. I love the changes and algorithmic changes. I love growth hacking and strategy. I love systems. I love creating systems. I love digesting data from things, uh, analytical data. Um, and so you wouldn't surprise you, you know, you look at people like Bill Gates, um, uh, you know, uh, Steve Jobs, um, you know, these people are obviously on the spectrum too. Albert Einstein was on the spectrum. I actually have a degree in chemistry. So I have a bachelor's degree in chemistry, uh, which I did um, whilst I was writing my book actually. Um, and uh, that was really fun, you know, I did that because again, it's mathematics, chemistry is just mathematics. So it, it's not shocking to, uh, to, to think that somebody with Asperger's syndrome can do all those things. But if, you, if you'd asked me to, um, I don't know, host a party for, um, uh, I don't know, women of a certain age to come and mingle and have a mixer, I mean, it would never happen. I could just, no way. <laughs> You know? <laughs> well, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of uh, guys would not be able to host a party for women to come and mingle. <laughs> so, definitely a different language there um, that I, I don't think you're the only one. Um, but I totally hear what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, a lot of what you described with uh, loving algorithms and and functionality and things. Yes, that's definitely a hallmark trait um, of Asperger's. Um, but uh, I mean, when did you first start to realize, uh, or who did someone else realize uh, for you um, that uh, you were a little bit different? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, straight off the bat, when I was a kid, um, you know, young boy, um, I didn't, um, 
couldn't play with my brother and sister. I have one brother and one sister, but I, I couldn't play with them very well because um, I couldn't understand that that type of play. Um, I wouldn't go outside, so I had like um, extreme anxiety of going anywhere because it was outside of my routine. Um, I had huge difficulty in going to school because it was too overpowering. You know, my parents were in a, a typical mainstream school. Um, so, of course, my, my, my learning was behind a lot, my reading and writing, all those kind of skills. And um, I, my parents were obviously super concerned. They were like, what's going on? You know, I had really bad trouble sleeping. I was hyperactive, yet very, uh, you know, um, closed in. And uh, I had like one friend, this kid who was dyslexic, who we used to like make a lot of electronics and stuff. I was really into electronics when I was a kid and um, Lego. So we used to do that. So my parents took me to different, you know, different doctors. The teachers in school were obviously super concerned. I wouldn't play outside at break times. And then we had a special... Um, we had like a, a special agreement where I was allowed to stay indoors and play on computers that were terrible back in the 90s but it was cool it was the only thing we had and I loved it um, and so the, the teachers kind of knew but they didn't know what it was and you know you're going back to like 93 94 which is like you know in Wales in the United Kingdom which is quite a rural part of the United Kingdom there was no way a doctor or, or a psychologist would ever understand what autism was because it wasn't getting diagnosed until the you know the mid 90s in America let alone Europe you know so um so yeah my parents knew there was something wrong we took to see all kinds of doctors and, and, and psychologists and stuff and it was just an ongoing process it was a it was an uphill battle for, for many years but i um i eventually got to um my partner who i I'm, i live with now we have a, we have a son um so her mom is a mental health nurse and her mom kind of spotted it and then also a woman that was doing a, an access course which i was doing to go into science but she was using it to go into something else accounting i think um she, her son has asperger's and we're quite similar so she was like oh do you have asperger's and i had a lot of people ask me this question so i didn't really know so i didn't know anything about it and then we went from there really and created the uh the path to uh, the diagnosis process so that's how we did it mm, but i was 26 years old by the time i got the diagnosis wow that's a long time that's a pretty long time it's a, it's a frustratingly long time yeah Wow. Okay. So uh, once you did get the diagnosis, um, uh, what, what were some steps uh, did they, you know, uh, did you learn certain things that helped you um, uh, function on a daily basis? Yeah. So the first thing, um, uh, the first thing was I, because, you know, you got to think as well, 26 years old, I'd started having proper jobs, you know, grown up jobs. And so um, I was in offices, but I couldn't, I know I, I was in one place and then I, uh, I got excessive depression and I didn't know what was going on and I couldn't go in. So I was on like drugs and stuff. And then it was just really difficult. And then I, I went to another place and I had a huge meltdown. Like they were going to change the office around and it wasn't good. And I was like freaking out. And, and then, um, you know, so all of these things, and, but nobody could understand why, you know? So after having the diagnosis, um, I was set up with a guy who was like a, an ASD development worker, like a key worker, like a social worker. And he would visit me every, every week or uh, typically every week with frequency, but I could ask for more. And uh, his name was David Oliver. He was a really cool guy. So what he did is he took me to different like uh, Asperger's support groups and we spoke to different people and learned from different people. And um, then he met with my bosses and work and explained to them, you know, like uh, some reasonable adjustments. And then he also helped me uh, when I was starting my university degree, um, helping me speak to the university disability student uh, section. And then they set up additional requirements in, in the classes for me and stuff. And it was really like, it was ridiculously helpful. Um, and especially with like, um, you know, like, like at home, like dealing with like bills management and organization of life skills, like really bad at doing those things. Like, you know, I, I, I can work my washing machine, but it took like two or three years to figure out how to do all those things and, and that functionality. Um, what but, type of things? 
the uh, uh, like washing machines like what oh. like washing clothes get, get organizing when when to wash clothes how, oh, how much to do remember that you need to like buy, buy more washing stuff and um and then i'm still learning i still have loads of hurdles to overcome but like it's just uh it was just having support from somebody to, to guide you in a social aspect and that wasn't always dependent on my girlfriend you know so to say to her, like you know what we're doing but it, it, it relieved a lot of time as well i think one of the main things was with a lot of attention so people realized that wasn't just being like stupid because again a lot you know he was not stupid he was like wiping babies or whatever so it was kind of nice to have a, a, a clinical reassurance i was like it was more of a condition rather than just a, a laziness or whatever you know oh yeah yeah definitely i mean uh, that's it's amazing so i want to um, I want to go back to, uh, you mentioned something earlier that I thought was uh, interesting I wanted to ask you about. Um, you said that once you did realize that you had Asperger's, uh, someone came into your office um, and, and spoke to uh, like your, uh, I'm assuming your boss, your coworkers, and like, you know, how to um, talk to you and, and you know, um, um, how to make things better for you. And then same thing with school. So what were those things? What are things that uh, people should be watching out for in the workplace or um, in, in school um, to make life easier for people that have Asperger's? Well, that's a loaded question, but I can put some some simple examples down. So one was um, they were so they they worked out a new procedure where they'd email me the task list over and just be like, "Damn, did you get the list?" I'm like, "Yeah, I got it." So I could then work through the task list through the internet, like through my email. Mm -hmm. So which was a really good one. Another one was um, so for school was you know you you have you're in a lecture hall and you you look at somebody giving you a lecture, and then you know they've got information on the screen they're talking and you're supposed to write stuff down like just off the bat if you're sensory sensitive like my you know you sensory processing disorder that comes with autism there's no way i'm gonna be able to write that down i'm trying to process the light that's coming off the board and look at those pictures moving on the actual you know projector then i'm looking looking at the guy who's pointing at the pictures telling me something else that relates to the pictures and then i have to translate all of that down into some written format mix that with dyslexia and you've got a catastrophe in your hands so they arranged for a uh, a woman to be in my lectures with me to take those notes which was fantastic and when she wasn't available i was allowed to record the the lectures audibly and then listen back to those which is absolutely fantastic okay interesting. so they were just they're two examples of how it worked another one in, in working environment was understanding that i needed to take um like sometimes it was too too overwhelming in an office so i was allowed to take like five minutes to go outside walk around and i used to work uh, on like a park and um it had like a, a lake and stuff there and swans and stuff so it was really cool so i got to walk around this this lake and chill out and then go back and i was allowed to have headphones in my ears to kind of dampen the sound around the office because it went because when i first joined it was a, like a six-person team and then it went to like 200 people so the uh the the feeling of overwhelm and being overwhelmed on um, that that feeling that comes up very often uh is it like mostly because um you know uh it's just too much stimuli happening it's just like too much happening at the same yeah. time you just can't like okay That's exactly what it is it's kind of like say you um say you uh let's give an example of how it feels so like say you're going to the store all you need is bread so you go to the grocery store you you walk in and mm -hmm. then you walk in and you go and you go and you go in, and then you're looking for the bread right you're looking for the bread you find the bread put it in your basket go to the till you know you, you pay for your your bread and out you go great 
because you're focusing on the thing that you need to do and that's all you can do because that's what you can see that's what you're there for right your mind's occupied on that an autistic person walks into the grocery store to buy bread and they're like wow there's lights there's a security guard how many people are in here oh my god what's that music that smell is really annoying this floor seems really hard today why is this floor hard okay i've got to find the bread but still this floor is hard now those lights are awful there's too many people standing close to me this guy's breath that guy's humming why is that noise happening and so you can see how it becomes it's it's looking at every single thing in the area you can't yeah. focus on one thing unless it's it's your peak interest mm, like yeah. i can and so but it's because and then it works on the contrary to that so this is an example that happens in the home right mm -hmm. i'm i'm reading about um uh, at the moment i'm building a, a traffic funnel for my uh, my course you know how to get people to to you know get more information uh, from for me more more value and so i'm reading about how this how how funnels work you know i'm really studying it. i'm looking at this funnel thing and my girlfriend's been talking to me for about 25 minutes like dan 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 and i'm like just you know, so I can't hear her because I'm too, too focused on this thing. Same with my kid, you know, he's like, daddy, daddy. And I'm like, looking at this, I'm reading, you know, I've got a book in front of me and I'm trying my best to read. And of course, reading is super difficult. So I'm like really focused on it. I just zone out. So it's funny because it, the opposite happens when you're in a more controlled environment. When you're, when I'm looking at something that I'm really into, I completely zone out and I'm, I, I'm, I've become almost deaf to the, the situation. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. So it's just like, uh, basically how controlled the environment is. Um, that's fascinating. Um, I mean, I, I have to say that when, when you're talking about the grocery store one, uh, I often feel the same way, except I concentrate on things that are different from you. Like instead, so what you said, it almost sounds like a superpower in the sense that it's like you have extremely keen senses and like you notice everything around you that other people, you know, uh, details that other people cannot notice, right? So in a sense, that's almost like reminds me of and think of, um, you know, a lot of times in mental health, I think of it as like, like almost like a superpowers or, or, you know, Marvel co comic book characters or something. <laughs> yeah, but um, I guess, but, <laughs> slightly annoying. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, for me when I go into like a grocery store it's like like there's just so many choices I know that's like a, a problem too for a lot of people yeah so that that's a that's a phenomenon so that's that's the social psychology of marketing so the marketers do that yes. on purpose right so they, they do it and it's funny uh, there's also a there's also a secondary uh, reason they do that and it's kind of like um to keep people happy it's really political um is is that they give you the illusion of choice and they restrict certain choices. So you you go, well, you know, I've got 50 or 35 flavors of Baskin Robbins ice cream, right? But you've only got two political parties you can choose from. Mm, so they tell you they've got so much choice and abundance, but you, you only have that. And that's how that works. And so a lot of it is, is pushed by these people who lobby from the, the top of the of the of the pyramid of, of government. So that they lobby oh, in people who create social sciences. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, it sounds a little bit conspiratorial, but it's not really a conspiracy. It's just um, it's optimizing, it's streamlining the way that you can create um, opportunity for the, the wealthiest people. Because the wealthiest people can create opportunity, right? Because they have the most power. Wealth mm -hmm. comes power. And to keep that streamline or optimize it just like anything else you know you optimize the content for the best outreach mm. and so they optimize everything to make sure that, that system works in their favor so that's how it works hmm. i will never look at ice cream choices the same way again <laughs> <laughs> sorry so... everybody who have just like destroyed the <laughs> no i think it's, a, it's important to, to to know this a book uh, recently um or through reading listening to a book i've listened to books and one of the things was that um to to create i think it was the four hour work week i don't know if you've come across yes uh-huh i yeah. have it so, i have it i don't so think it, i ever finished it yeah. but how is it is it good oh 
it's excellent. And he actually says in, in the book, he says, choices take up so much of your time. So outsource wherever you can. So you can do that. You can have literally, you can pay somebody like a virtual assistant. And like outsourcing is going to be the way that we, we, we optimize our productivity and time. And that's, that's it. It's all about optimizing everything we do in life to make it more streamlined. Because if your life is, yeah, I mean, it takes, I take it from a, a, a it's a, a line from Fight Club, which is my favorite movie, where he says, your life is ending every second of every minute of every day. And so it's, you have to choose wisely and you have mm-hmm. to make sure that time counts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've read the 80-20 principle. Have you read that one? That's a good one. Yeah. The 80-20 principle. It actually mm-hmm. applies to every single thing. 80-20 mm-hmm. principle applies to everything. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, it applies to everything, especially marketing. I noticed in marketing and optimizing content, 820 is like, it's everything. Like 20% is sales, you know, 80% is value. It's like, it's crazy. I'm curious, how, how do you think it, it would apply to like something you're doing in a daily, uh, day-to-day basis? I think it applies to things like, you know, spend 80% of your time um, productive. Obviously 20% of the time needs to be relax, relaxation and self-care. I think that's how they would, they would run that because... A lot of people don't. A lot of people run at like 90 to 100% kind of productivity. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know I do. I sometimes forget to just do other stuff because I'm just, I'm just working all the time. Like I want to just, I, I'm obsessed with it. You know, when, when your life's work is the thing you enjoy the most and you're obsessed mm-hmm. about, it's hard to, 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 you know, disconnect from that for a bit and just relax. I find it hard anyway. Yeah, I do love the 80-20 principle and the fact that it states that 20% of your efforts is, it gives you 80% of your results. So I try to keep that in mind where it's like, okay, where can I um, put, yeah, for everything that I'm doing. And that way I am able to do so much, you know, I think that some people don't quite realize that they're like, oh, you can, you can never do it because you're doing more than one thing or multiple things. But it's like, no, actually I I try to optimize exactly like you said. Yeah. Yeah optimize every single thing that you're doing you know how can you efficiency 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 right <laughs> it's working smart and not harder and there's nothing yes. wrong with working hard i'm just saying that like work hard but like work smart as well and yeah. i think well, um, some people you know, love funny. hard work too so if that's what they, they enjoy do. they take pride in that then awesome of right course. yeah i think i remember i always remember something that my my uh, ghostwriter i had a ghostwriter help me write my book obviously being super dyslexic there was no way i was gonna be able to write a book physically uh, so i had a ghostwriter and she said to me uh, God, how do you do so many things? She's like, you know, she goes, Why do, I, I don't know even, I don't know why I even asked that question because she's, she's remembers this old saying that says, if you want something done properly, ask a busy person because a busy person always has the ability to do it because they're obviously able to do all these things. Otherwise they wouldn't be doing all those things at once. Right. And I love it. Like I was saying to, I, well, recently I've been reading two books at once um, because I'm trying to improve my reading because practice makes progress, but I'm reading two books at once, which is amazing. And I love it. I, I feel like it, it just, it like supercharges my brain, but I got like this content overload because I was doing so much. So I was creating content because right now I'm in the middle of batch filming for the, the next year. So I'm mm-hmm. filming 120 videos. I send it to my editor. He edits them down. And then we, we, we do all the uploads and all the other bits and pieces. Uh, and it's so funny. So um, I, uh, I kind of had this really weird, like mental health kind of problem that I came across where I was reading two books at once. And I was also listening to podcasts while brushing my teeth and, you know, just doing random stuff. And then when I was out running, I was listening to podcasts and, and, and books. And I was coming home and I was working. And then I spend a couple of hours in the evening with my family, like my girlfriend or my baby. And then when he goes to bed, um, I come down, I do some work and then I go upstairs and chill. But I, I came downstairs from, from hanging out with them to come to the office because the office is in the down floor of our house. Uh, and I was like, whoa, like it just kind of hit me as if like I'd just been like hit by like a bus or something. And I was like, whoa. Because my mm. brain was so heavy, full of stuff. Oh, because I was like, 
Whoa. Because I, I was just doing so many things. I was recording yeah. 10 videos mm. in, I, I recorded I record 10 videos in two days mm-hmm. and then well actually I mean I couldn't record like I was trying to record 100 videos in two weeks but um I'm recording 10 videos in two days and then I was reading two books at once and listening to podcasts um whilst trying to yeah. run my business you know and so it was, it was flipping crazy but I, it's I love, exciting I love, though right <laughs> yeah it is I love all that stuff I just yeah. need to remember like sometimes maybe reading two books and listening to podcasts in every square minute isn't good yeah 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 yeah, we all need to give our brains that break because we need to recharge like a battery our brains are like batteries we need to like recharge it you know it's um we um yeah i mean if it helps the way that i see it if it helps us function better if we give ourselves a recharge (laughs) right and the optimal functionality the whole thing that we've been talking about uh then that's reason enough to do it right if it's gonna make again and that's also probably with the 80 20 for the four hour work week all all those you know um success guru type books um uh, i think the bottom line is they always preach uh, you know, uh, quality over quantity, you know, how, how much are like, how, how productive are you being with the amount of effort that you're putting in versus just how much time are your are you spending doing it? Right. So yeah, of course. And that's very important to keep in mind, but I think it's amazing. I mean, you struggle with like Asperger's and you're able to do all of this. Like how, how are you able to do it? Like uh, what has been optimal for you? Yeah, I, I wasn't. I was terrible at doing all this stuff before, but um, there's two things in my life that changed it. Uh, and uh, honestly, it was the iPhone and the iPad. Like, without those two things... Really? Like, I, I, honestly, now, if, if I didn't have an iPhone and an iPad, my I, I would just come to a grinding halt because I, I schedule everything in my life, my, how I eat, when I wake up, when I talk to people, when I go to pick up my medication from the, the pharmacy, everything is because I've scheduled it. As soon as it comes in, I, I put it on my phone. But it, like, I literally use these things to death. These are tools that like, yeah, I just use them every single, like everything. Like, I, honestly, I'm Do you, I'm, do you I have an iWatch? Cause I got an yes, iWatch. Okay, I Apple never Apple use it. I don't know what to use it for. Oh. The only thing I use it for Dude. is like, downloading music and listening to it. I used to have a phone line and then I had to cancel that because I was just not using it. You know, I, I'm like, why do I even mm. have this watch? <laughs> Well, I, I think like, you know, it's maybe not for everybody. Maybe cause I, I bought it primarily because I love running and running is a good way for me to, uh, I remember Will Smith. That's said the only time things. I use it though. Yeah. Well, that, well that, that's it. And, and I started using it and then it came more and more, but um, this is good for you though. That's remember that Will Smith said that successful people run and read. So if, if, mm-hmm. if you don't do any of those things, then it's, it's going to be really funny. Both. <laughs> yeah, I know. Same here. And I, I always kind of get shocked when people say they don't read books. I'm like, what? Like I'm, I'm dyslexic, bro. And I still read like it's crazy. Actually, I saw a video recently on YouTube where a guy read um, one book a week for four years. And oh, wow. like, it was really interesting. He said that he just, it just blew his mind because at the end of the four year period of reading a book a week, he, um, he was like, he was just so, he saw everything in a different way. So when he sat in classes, he was thinking about things in a different way because he, he was relating to data. And I said there's something about books that you can only get certain data from books that you can't get anywhere else. And that's why I find them fascinating. So people like us, basically, that are just fascinated by everything. I mean, would you, because uh, there's a, I get a lot of slack for, for this, actually. There's so many people meet me and they're like, how can you be doing all this or interested in all this? And you, you can't believe the amount of people that tell me like that I'm doing something wrong or that I shouldn't be, that I should only be focused on like one thing or one or two things happens all the time. They're 
constantly saying this, you know, they're like, oh, if you want to be successful in something, you should just focus on just this one thing. And I'm like, but that's not how my brain works. It's just not how I work. And I know a lot of creative people, it's just almost impossible because once, once creativity comes out, it's like, it's just, it's like a whole world. You have of to run with juices. it. Right. right. Yeah. So what do you have to say to that? I'm, I'm very curious. Um, your thoughts. I, yeah. Do you know, it, both ourselves and the people who would say otherwise are both right in the fact that we can, we can, we can be interested in all things and be successful. But when you want to double down on something, that's exactly what you do. So with my YouTube channel, until I decided that I would go full pal on just dedicating like two months to algorithm changes in YouTube and figuring out optimization of those channels, it wasn't until I did that, that my channel kind of like had an exponential growth. And so then I go, okay, I've learned that now. I can carry on that exponential. It's like spinning plates, isn't it? You know, and you can spin that plate, you've got to spin another plate, then you get another plate going with something else. And so it, it, there's nothing wrong with, with learning all things, but when you want to streamline one thing, just put all of that like effort onto one thing and then move on to the next thing. It's just it's just how you do it. Because I don't think people see that because you know you know what I mean? If you wanted to, like, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like if you were working on Facebook growth this month, and then you say, okay, once, once we hit like, I don't know, 100K on Facebook, then we're going to move on to Instagram, right? We're going to try and get 500K on Instagram. And so you, you're still doing all those things. You're still running everything because you're already, you're already learning about Pinterest, which is what you've got lined up, which is like three jobs down the line, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that, it, it, people are right in what they what they perceive saying, but I think what the problem is they don't see it from your or my point of view, where we're saying, okay, I, I can still double down and still learn all this other stuff. Like, you yeah, know, I've got I, I it. think I also think that you know it just depends on how like the differences in people's brains and what they prefer. Because I definitely know people like, for example, my father. He is he just does what he does. Although when you think about it, he has also branched into like a bunch of different sectors within his specialty. However, he's right. like an expert in his field like that's just what he does he's like very laser focused in that in that sense and it's always worked for him and I know a lot of successful people where it has really worked for them and it makes sense because obviously if you spend so much time and energy on one thing it's it's gonna grow you know which is which is great you know that's a great part of entrepreneurship however um you know one thing that I always tell especially with my clients I always tell them like it when they struggle with this I'm like you know find a way to try to make things mesh together like if you however you can like the best way to make things like all somehow mesh together so that one effort on one thing it's like almost like an umbrella yeah, right yeah, yeah exactly right. exactly so try almost like breaking taboo is built like a umbrella of mental health and then suicide prevention is the stem that is the same exact way that i see you know entrepreneurship and when you have a lot of different interests is like you know try to figure out how to make it all bleed into that stem um but if you can't if some things can't that's okay too because here's the other side of it remember the whole recharging the batteries part that we were talking about right with our brains yeah yeah sometimes for me other creative interests are what recharges my battery I mean that to me yeah, like exactly. yeah sitting down um learning about something else or or writing my poetry or you know working on some music or whatever those are the things that recharge and refuel my battery so that I can come back to whatever it is I'm working on like a hundred percent even more but why not make those things productive also, you know? So, you know, it's funny you should say that because like I, I did a video um, on like, so there's this thing where people say like, oh, you need to, you know, Dan, you need to relax, you need to chill out. I'm like, yeah, but my relaxing and chilling out is um, 
you know, because I'm quite I'm hyperactive and I speak really fast, my relaxing and chilling out is like learning stuff. So like I, I start watching documentaries on like, you know, crazy things just to learn. And I have to constantly learn things. I feel like I'm always needing to learn and educate myself. So I love that. Um, yeah. yeah. And so, and then I'm, I realized that it got to a point where I'm like, well, that is my, that is my relaxation time. But then I, I figured that what people may think is that they may think, well, if you're sitting in front of a screen all the time, maybe it's not really good for your, you know, for your vision and your brain needs a little bit of a rest. So I thought, well, how, how would I do that? So the thing that I kind of like the hack that I've started to use is that actually getting a physical book and then going sit down somewhere away from like your iPhone and iPad and just reading a book for a bit because you're still digesting information, but you're not having your brain exposed to flickering of screens and all that kind of stuff, you know, or, or like whatever light it is. So um, I, it's really interesting to say that. And I think that's a really, it's a really cool thing to, uh, to know that, you know, your relaxation is education. So, or whatever, or research, you know, I think that's a cool thing to remember. Yeah. And and then of course, you know, there are the times where you do absolutely nothing and that's okay too, or like meditate or, you know, train yeah. your brain to do, do nothing. But you actually touched on something. You talk about reading a lot and, and you also mentioned that you have um, ADHD. Um, yeah. I know for a lot of people with ADHD, it's extremely difficult to sit down and read. <laughs> so how do you, I mean, are you on medication also? I, yeah. Are you on medication for all of this or? So, so it wasn't until I, I was, I started my medication uh, treatment um, that I was able to sit down and read a book. You're absolutely right. And oh, so there's okay. this conflict as well between having Asperger's syndrome and ADHD. Like I want to focus and really like find precision on something like reading, but then having ADHD, I'm just like, you know, flying all over the place and like I can't stick to one topic I want to go to something else and then so it's, it was a conflict inside my brain constantly so I'm on medication now that um, definitely calms me down and since doing that I've been able to sit down and really focus on on stuff which is like really cool like I'm so thankful um, and I haven't taken I never I never took medication before this and, but January of this year I was like no 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 so I see my doctor and he was like okay we can do this like a psychiatrist and oh, then okay. we did that and uh, it was wait good. you and, said uh, that you never took medication before until this year no, that's right. When I was diagnosed, obviously, um, and before that, well, I've seen depression medication when I, when I hit depression, obviously, I had to. Um, but then um, when I was diagnosed, I was offered medication and they kind of, and I was like, no, I was always scared of taking medication, feeling like it would make me less of who I am. Um, so uh, I, I kind of like, not refused, but just didn't, I said, well, when I'm ready, I'll come. I know, and I, obviously, when I felt like I was ready, I thought I could try it, you know, why not? And so, so I feel how, really good from that. Yeah, how does it feel? How, have you noticed a difference? Well, at first it made me really, really tired and like drowsy, but then um, now I'm, it's in my system properly and I'm going for it. My body's adapted to it. I feel really good. I feel like, you know, in control of myself. I feel like um, that when I get really sh stressed out, like it used to hit my head a lot and it was like an, it's a, it's an impulse. So that was one of the biggest issues I have. So like, especially meltdowns and I'm like, ah, I didn't hit my head. And it was something I despised because I didn't, um, I didn't want to do it, but um, it just happened. But now since taking the medication, I've only done it once. And, I, and so it's like, it used to happen like weekly and I've done it like once since January. So I was like, whoa, so medication is really, really calming down. So it just makes me feel more, more grounded, I guess, more, more like oh, okay. attached to reality, I guess. That's what it. Okay. Interesting. And you don't, uh, do you feel like any part of your personality has been compromised because of medication? Cause a lot of people are afraid of that. Yeah, no, not, not at all. I think, um, I think we are who we are. I don't think medication can change that. And after seeing, you know, seeing it now, um, and obviously you could look, or look at my videos. It's funny, actually, a lot of my, a lot of my fans have said like in my videos, like, Whoa, are you, are you taking medication or something? Cause I noticed that you're <laughs> a lot more calmer in videos and you're talking a lot slower. And I was oh, like, yeah, I am actually. 
basically. So it's actually helped in a lot of ways, but um, but yeah, it has definitely not taken anything away. Um, you know, it, it, it's made my sleeping difficult because um, because it interacts with the the, the sleeping. Uh, I used to take five HTP to sleep, which mm. was really good stuff. I took that for but, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so taking the five HTP, I, I felt I had to take it for a couple of weeks before it worked. And then after taking it for a while, it worked really well. But then the new medication I'm on would interact with that same part of my brain. So I couldn't take the five HTP anymore. So it kind of, mm. it's, it's infra- interrupted the way that I sleep, but it's okay. Um, so uh, because obviously, what medication are you on? Uh, I'm taking duloxetine. Okay. I don't know what it is. In, it might have a different name in America. Is it for uh, Asperger's or ADHD or both? Well, for but well, they treat, well, it's it's given as a it's given to people with autism spectrum disorder sometimes because it's like a, it's an antidepressant as well. So it kind of like because the, so people with autism have like mood dips like this, <laughs> like roller coaster mood dips. So just it's to, to level out those mood dips, which then in turn helps with focus, and then it helps you kind of relax more because obviously it's a little bit of a um, an antidepressant, so it kind of like makes you relax a bit more. So. Uh, and feel happier you know um so it's, that's what the medication is i don't know what it is i think i think duoxetine is the name of it in america as well but i'm not entirely sure there was a bunch of different ones but the doxin was the one that we wanted to try first and see how we got on with it and so far so good it may change in the future but at the moment mm-hmm. i feel like the doxin is working really well and okay. so yeah we're going with that so you're but only I, on i've one. read a few studies yeah just on the one that well yeah i'm on that that one and i do have um uh benzodiazepam for uh traveling because i get extreme social anxiety when i'm traveling like mm-hmm. like crazy social anxiety and traveling so mm-hmm. interesting you mentioned before that um uh and i know this is very common with people with asperger's but um uh you have trouble making eye contact right yeah. so i've always been curious like like if i was to ask why or what does it feel like you know um or what's the like trouble there like how would you explain it Um, it's kind of a really uncomfortable feeling. It's almost like, um, I don't know, there's a few ways I could explain it, but I don't know which ones are PC enough, but it's kind of like someone reaching into okay. your soul and touch. But it's like, okay, so imagine you've just met somebody and you, you both have to strip naked and get really close to each other and touch your noses. You'd be like, this is really uncomfortable because that's something that you don't get, you only get that intimate with somebody if you're really you know you know them through and through and you're with them and they, they so it's kind of like that when you look at somebody eye, it's like whoa like really like it's it's so intense it's like mm-hmm. that's what it feels like you know he feels like they're you're completely naked so there's this person looking into them deeply it's like what the so it's so i just can't do it it makes me feel really like i don't know i just it's so hard it's hard to do you know it's a difficult thing and, and maintaining the eye contact is, is so difficult to do I see. So it's just like a really intense, um, uh, I I think I I kind of know what you mean because sometimes like there's been, I can think of a few situations where I've been like really nervous, you know, for something. And then, and like, and and I totally exactly know what you mean because when I, uh, there's been times where I've made eye contact and it's like, whoa, (laughs) this almost feels like something's like hitting you and makes me super on edge and alert. And it's like, I can't really think of anything else, you know, but, um, but luckily for me, that doesn't happen happen like all the time it, it's only it's like those rare occasions that I can think about where it's happened so last question for you before we okay. wrap things up um yeah for people out there uh who are experiencing um Asperger's uh or autism who may be listening um what are some words of advice that you can tell them what are some tools that have helped you okay so if, if you 
you are, um, if you're on the spectrum, I guess, um, my, my, my best advice would be to watch all my videos. No, um, it would be to uh, <laughs> g- g- rely on a digital assistant, rely on like a, a smartphone or a tablet, because those things are going to be able to just improve your life so much because you've got to think about, you know, it can navigate you through, you know, cities, it can navigate through towns. It can also order your, your, your menus for you. So you can get dictation software where you can write down a message and press play and it'll speak for you. So there's so many avenues to take if you have a, the right smartphone or, or smart device. So that's one of, one of the a go-to kind of ones. Also, the other one is don't be so hard on yourself. You know, like I was always hard on myself thinking that was, there was something wrong with me. Like I was an idiot and I was doing things wrong. You're never doing things wrong. You know, people are just who they are. And, and there's something that's empowering about being different. You know, that's like a, that should be your motivation to, to keep going. And, um, and the last thing I'll say is that I believe in you, whatever you want to do, do it because nobody tells you that enough. You know, nobody tells you like, I can believe in you, you can do it, but I, I believe in you. So yeah, whoever you are, Dan believes in you and I know you can do it. There you go. That might be the advice that you need today. Awesome. Yeah. And we here at Breaking Taboo, obviously, are, are huge supporters of uh, people with all sorts of mental health conditions um, and those uh, without. But I always say all of us, we are all going through some type of mental health something because mental health is really it's just that it's health. You know, it's like physical health. It's, you know, we need to maintain it, um, be conscious of it and constantly are figuring out new ways uh, for us as individuals to best handle our own mental health and make us feel um, and be as productive or happy (laughs) or whatever it is that we are seeking as possible. Um, And the power of technology, that's, I believe that's what you're saying, right, Dan? The power of technology helps with Asperger's. Interesting. 100%. Like, yeah, it's improved my life, like, I don't know, tenfold. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I mean, I do at least follow my calendars. I do like, I'm, I'm a huge stickler for my calendar. Every single thing I do has to go in my calendar or else like I will forget. And that's, that's a big, big tool too. But now I will look into Siri, <laughs> Siri reminders, no. it for anything, but to tell me the weather and like a couple of news highlights. Check it out. Take my medication. Oh my gosh. That's that Siri, right? So it's yes, just come up right now. Yeah. <laughs> that's so great. See? <laughs> yeah, I have to take my meds. I have to go now because I have to take my medication. But yeah, I will let you go so you can take your medication and get about your day. But no, it's, been, it's a good thing. Yeah, this has been really wonderful. I really sure. enjoy chatting with you. Um, I'm amazed that we went through such a wide array of topics, and I love it. Everything is as fascinating. <laughs> I love people like you who are just fascinated yeah. by by um, all sorts of random things and actually like you know chooses to learn about them. So I've learned a lot today, actually. Yeah. Um, and you've been quite <laughs> the too. spokesperson for <laughs> Apple and Alexa. They should pay you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man, I'd love to work with Apple. Oh, so okay. Anyway, okay. Thank Daniel. you so much for having me yeah, on. Thank as well. you. Have a great day. Right. Bye. I need to get. It's I, ridiculous. As a, chief, as a chief, I don't like it. Is I think it's. Yet? It's almost it's ironic to me that I don't know if you know this, James, but uh, the job description of firefighter has been shown to be the most attractive job description to women so women like that's like number one in uh you know the sexiest job that a guy could have is a firefighter so I remember reading this um but I think it's almost ironic because what you were saying how much time it takes and just being away from the family that it's it's so difficult to maintain a relationship well one of the things getting back to my relationship with my first wife she couldn't she couldn't handle it 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. So after I got divorced, I went through some counseling. I'm trying to figure out, God, I've done everything I could possibly do. What, what did I do wrong? You know? Good for you that you went and, through counseling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I went for like a year trying to figure it out. Yeah. And finally, I started doing some research. I, I really got interested in finding out through other guys who got divorced. Mm -hmm. If a guy was single in the fire department and gets married, the wives knew what they were getting themselves into. They knew that schedules like that. They knew the risk that they could be into, and they decided to marry the guy. Mm -hmm. They usually stayed married. Oh. Guys that were married that went into the fire service had a real high uh, level of divorce. Oh, interesting. Because it wasn't what they signed up for. And that's what she told me. She goes, I can't take the pressure of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I was on one of the calls one time, and this one, my friends got blown up. Uh, when when your friends got blown up? Yeah. Two of them. Well, the, the whole company ended up getting it. Uh, I was you blown up with house. an explosive? Yeah, the, the house exploded with them inside of it. Um, wow. Yeah, this was another one. Oh, because out. of a fire or a gas leak or something? Or There was a gas leak in the house. Mm -hmm. it, was an it was an arson. Anyway, what ended up happening, I was down at that engine house, and somebody got sick, and it was between me and the other guy. There's four of us that were down there. It's the captain, the engineer, and another firefighter and myself. We're, we're called the, the jump men. Mm -hmm. And one of us were going to have to go back up and go on to rescue at, at the other engine house. So Lance is there, and he says, he was working on his car, and he says, hey, buddy, I'm going to bump you up. He goes, you're going to have to go up there. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll be up there with Russ. I don't care, you know. And uh, that was the um, Good Friday because mm -hmm. uh, Sunday was Easter. So I don't care, you know. So it was like 7 o'clock at night. I get up there, and they go out on a call to assist another fire department in one of the other districts. Uh, for smoke out in the street. So when the smoke hangs real low on the street, it's usually a basement fire. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, they, interesting. They yeah, they couldn't find the fire. So they're going up and down the street looking for it, looking for it, you know. So we hear them on the radio of trying to find it. And we heard, oh, we found the house. We're hooking up now. We're going in to investigate. Well, the guy that was my captain, Dennis, he goes in there and they had the front doors. The doors were all locked and stuff. He goes, listen, I'm going to break a window. And I'll get in the window and I'll come down and I'll lock the door and let you guys in. Mm -hmm. Well, he had his mask on and stuff like that. He broke the window. Well, the floor is already sloped in the house. That means the beams were all burnt through in the basement. Uh -huh. He didn't know the basement was burning like that. He got to the front door and said, listen, the floor is bowed. And when he opened up the door, it got enough oxygen there and the building exploded with them all mm -hmm. inside of it. Wow. So they were, they were in completely encapsulated in fire. Okay, wow. mm -hmm. so the guy that was the driver, the engineer, he's screaming on the window, you know, on the radio, the building's exploded, they're inside the building, you know. So my partner, Russ, I mean, we jumped on rescue and shot over there real quick. And I remember getting out to the front of the street and Dennis was there. His hands were completely burnt off, you know. His face was burnt, his neck, his, it was terrible looking. And I told Russ, I said, take care of him. I go, where's Lance? He goes, I don't know. I can't find them. So I'm running around. Well, the roof is up on top of the foundation. The walls are about 50 feet all over the place. Mm -hmm. So I'm running around to the back of the house, and I was able to crawl down into the basement, and I found Lance down there. And I grabbed a hold of him, and I was able to pull him out and get him around there. He's all burned up, too. One mm -hmm. of the other guys I knew from the other department got blown up and broke his femur, his pelvis, and his femurs, you know. So he had some major traumas and major burns, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And getting other rescue units in there to take care of 
my friends, you know. So mm -hmm. I mean, that was like, hey, I'm gonna have to stick you with a needle. Hey, I'm gonna have to do this to you. I'm gonna have to do that to you. And they knew what I was doing to them, you know. But I was afraid they were gonna die, you know. Mm -hmm. And after it was over with, that really, it was like one of my family members. You oh know? yeah, yeah. So you know, it was it was really upsetting, you know. And they all did. Did he? So did he? Uh, they all lived. Did, they all lived. Okay. They all lived. Okay. But he, but he had to retire from his injuries. He was oh. he, he got hurt so bad over the thing, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. The other two guys uh, that I had, Lance and uh, uh, Jimmy, uh, they they did end up doing. Okay. I have friends named Lance and Jimmy too. Yeah. Well, Lance, <laughs> when you know after it was all over with, the story came up about that. He went around telling everybody how he saved my life. And I said, how the hell you figured it out, Lance? Who got you out of the basement? And he goes, oh, no, no, no. Time out. He goes, let's talk about this. He goes, if I had went up there and you were there, he goes, you would have got killed. So I saved you. <laughs> he goes, oh, okay. So that's how it goes. So he goes, yeah, because if you were there, he goes, you would have got killed. Yeah. I go, yeah. oh, okay. So that's our own standy joke with each other about who saved whose life, you know? Yeah. I always uh, love hearing these stories of, uh, um, you know, your adventures. It's, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, I don't know. <laughs> it's just so interesting. Um, but, you know, I, I've heard some, but I know other people haven't. Uh, what's it like? You've told me some stories of what it's like to actually be in a fire. I know I've asked you this before. What is it like to actually, you know, you be can't inside see a fire? your hand in front of your face. It is completely black. You know, you get, you're crawling. You don't stand up because the hot, you know, heat rises. So down on the floor, it's going to be 180 to 200 degrees. You stand up at 700 degrees. Wow. Your clothes, start, your start, your clothes will start burning. If okay? you stand up, your clothes will start burning. Could, could start burning. They're mm -hmm. flame resistant, but they're not flame proof. Okay. Right. What, what do you call it? Your turnout clothes. You know, mm -hmm. your turnout clothes. Right. Uh, they will start combusting. They'll start breaking down and start melting on you. So yeah, you're crawling the whole time you're there. You've got a tank on, you've got a certain amount of air and you're always kind of looking at your air to make sure that you've got enough air. But as you're going in trying to find where the fire is located or you're looking for somebody, that that's the hardest. You're searching and you're going to areas you don't know the layout of the house or the building or whatever. And this is where mistakes get made because people no, we got to get and rescue them, but they're not watching themselves. So mm -hmm. my thing is you never go in without a hose line, okay, that mm -hmm. you can fight the fire if something goes on, and you can follow that hose back out. Right. Okay, even if you're crawling, you can follow that. Or they have what's called as a tag line, that it's like a rope on you mm -hmm. that you can find your way out. But if you don't have that on there, you're going to get yourself lost. Mm -hmm. And that happened to me one time. I was up on the second floor of a building, I was searching, and next thing I know, I'm out of air. The bell's going off. I'm looking at it. I go. You I mean you're this. out of air, like your oxygen um, right. is, yeah. is gone? Okay. I didn't even think of that firefighters yeah. had to wear an oxygen tank, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not oxygen. It's compressed air. Oh, compressed but, air. Uh, okay. Is it I'm heavy? Looking, yeah. The, the unit weighs usually, well, they're, they've gotten a lot better right now. Probably about 25 to 28 pounds. Mm -hmm. And how much do the uniforms weigh? The whole thing is about an extra 100 pounds on top of you. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. You got another 100 pounds on you when you're doing that. I would not be able to do that. I and would... then that's not pulling a hose either. 
you carry wow. a couple flakes of hose up a bunch of stairs. That's where we do the physical fitness thing. Right. And that's one of the other things, too, at the firehouse. People think that the firemen sit around, drink coffee, and play cards. My whole time in my fire service, I never played cards. I never seen anybody play cards. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't have time for that. But mm -hmm. we have a physical fitness requirement that you have to do PT. Okay, yeah. You have to be on the treadmill and sit-ups and pull-ups and weightlifting and stuff like that because that's what you're going to be doing that day. Oh. That keeps you from getting injured as bad. So when because, you're in the fire department, you're actually doing your push-ups and you're actually, basically you're in the gym most right. of the time. You're that's using exactly your extra it. time to work out. Right. Okay. You have to do that so much each day uh, to keep yourself in good condition, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. because it's it's an endurance thing. But anyway, I got trapped up on the second floor. Right. And I could not find my way out. I was mm -hmm. lost. You know, and I'm thinking, this is it, you know, because I mean, it, it's going through your mind as to, all right, what am I going to do? And I think I told you this, but. Um, I, I think this, I remember. I think I yeah. remember the story. I like it. Uh -huh. Yeah. I, I heard this voice. It's a woman's voice. I don't know who it is. It's not one of my relatives. It's not my mother or anything like that. And I remember her saying, said, go to the left. And so I went to the left and I was able to see, barely see a window. And I don't. I remember just diving out the window. I was out of air. I'm choking at that time. And I remember f falling out into the yard, diving yeah. out the second story. Thing. It did not feel very good hitting the ground like that. But I remember it knocked the breath out of me. But I remember laying there and thinking, oh, my God, I about died up there. You know, I was out of air. I was going to die. I mean, the, uh, it seems like obviously the the things that you've gone through are very dangerous. Period. <laughs> it's just you've been through so many dangerous uh, events, and you know, right now I'm thinking as you're telling me all these stories, I'm like, wow, being a firefighter really is the most exciting job that <laughs> you could. Hurt. Well, I'm going to tell you what you end up getting hurt. I mean, I've had uh, seven knee surgeries. Okay. Oh wow. On, on the same knee. Okay, I've done both my shoulders. I've had surgery on both of them. I separate my shoulders. You know, I tore my rotator cuff. Uh, I broke my neck. You know, I've got Wow, why? Wait, how? Just from saving people or climbing things or just carrying things? things? Just different I things? Yeah, on the rescue, I was already a chief when this happened when I broke my neck. Oh, wow. Uh, it's one of those things that when the call went bad real quick. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was at a senior citizen apartment complex mm -hmm. and we'd been down there a bunch of times because they had a bad fire alarm mm -hmm. so it's like two o'clock in the afternoon and we get the call and i was already out and i'm responding with the truck so we have the aerial truck and we got the rescue going and we got the other engine going well we're halfway there the dispatcher gets back on and says you can disregard it's a false alarm and i told the engine company i said go ahead and proceed on everybody else go back to the station I said, mm -hmm. I'm going to go down here and I'm going to write a summons to this place because they've not fixed their alarm. We've been down mm -hmm. there like 25 times. Mm -hmm. So they got like two buildings. And so the captain makes the turn. He said, there's nothing showing. And they went around Well, the fire was in the other building. Flames were shooting out of the second story up onto the third story outside. Oh, wow. So by the time I got on the radio to call the other ones come back, they went down and got on the highway and got caught in traffic and they couldn't get turned around. Oh, wow. And I mean, they had to go down like five miles before the next exit to come back up. Mm -hmm. So there was three guys on the engine and myself. Mm -hmm. And so I get up there and I asked the apartment manager and they're all senior citizens that live in these, these buildings. Mm -hmm. I said, is everybody out? She goes, no, there's a bunch of people up on that second floor. Mm -hmm. And my stomach just dropped. I thought, oh no, this is going to be bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, the building was 
not have a sprinkler system in it. Oh, no. So we, and they didn't have what they call stand pipes that we could hook our fire hoses off and take them. We had to take them from the truck. So that means dragging all the hose all the way up to the staircasing and getting them up there. So I'm mm -hmm. helping them pull the hoses up in there. And I didn't have a tank on. I had my helmet, my turnout coat on, but I didn't have a tank on. So it's, it's light smoke. It's not bad yet, but it's starting to haze down. And I see this older woman down the hallway and I see her. I just ran down there real quick and grabbed her. She weighed like about 90 pounds, like you grab her mm -hmm. and put her down the front. And she goes, yeah, I, I can make it from here. Mm -hmm. So I'm pulling hose and I hear the guys yelling. They go, here comes another one. And I could just, by this time, the smoke is really going down in the hallway there. It's filling up. And uh, I see this walker. And this woman's taking about two inch steps at a time. She's about 100 feet from the elevator. I'm like, she is not going to make it. So I thought, okay, I'm going to hold my breath. I'm going to run down there. I'm just going to grab her and get her out of there. Well, hold my breath. I get down there. The woman's about not even five foot tall, and she weighs about 250 pounds. Mm -hmm. And she's like a like a butterball. You know? mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, I can pick her up. Mm -hmm. So I didn't say, hey, I'm going to pick you up or anything like that because I didn't want to breathe. I'm still trying to hold my breath. Mm -hmm. So I grabbed a hold of her and threw her up in the air and tried to pick her up. And she grabbed me by my chin and my ear and yanked back screaming, and she broke my neck. Oh, my I gosh. I spun around and fell up against the wall. I yelled at her, let go, you know. And so I carried her on down. I took her all the way downstairs, you know. I get out later on. I go, damn, my neck hurts, you know. 18 months later, I'm at a training thing up in Maryland, and I wake up that morning. I can't move. I thought something is really wrong. And mm -hmm. I went to the class, and then that night I went to a chiropractor. I thought, you know, something's wrong with my neck or my back. Mm -hmm. And he pushed around. He goes, you've done something really bad to your neck. He goes, I'm not going to touch your neck. He goes, I'll work on your lower back a little bit. But he goes, you need to go see a neurosurgeon or something like that, like right away. But was it, it was still broken, obviously. Wow. So I ended up getting a plate put in my neck. So all the vertebrates in there, the discs, I think those were all ruptured. So they took out. Uh, four, five, six, and seven. And then they put a plate and they fused it all together. So oh, wow. Why, so that's why I got the scar on the side of my neck here. Oh, I never but, noticed that, huh? Yeah, but I got well, a full range of my neck, you know. Oh, that's good. I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> that's the most important. Yeah, wow. I mean, I had no idea that you could break your neck of all bones and not know that you Well, I knew something was neck. wrong. Yeah. Right, right, and right. That's one of the things I always did. Whenever I get hurt, I always tell myself I'm okay. Uh -huh. you we know? were well, not always. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. good to get it checked out. Good to yeah. see someone good to see multiple people perhaps sometimes, but yeah, it's, it's interesting how they didn't give you an MRI in the uh, ER. I mean, well, the thing of it is, is I didn't describe it as excruciating oh, pain. I and see. I said that. Yeah. I hurt my neck, you know, she's twisted my head up, you know. And that's probably because of all everything that you've been trained and gone through as a firefighter is probably that wasn't even that bad comparatively to everything else, right? Well, the thing, I played football for a lot of years, too. And you play oh, yeah. all the time. Mm -hmm. And you get that mentality, okay, I'm hurt a little bit, but I can still play. You know, mm -hmm. I'm all right. Interesting. It's going to hurt a little bit. It's not going to be that bad. Right. And you end up being a lot worse than you are, you know? Right, right. And I wonder if that's the case for, you know, just people in the rescue force dealing with mental health and PTSD and that's, trauma. Well, see, that's the other thing too. Like I was saying is, you know, one of the other things that happened to me when I worked at NASA, one of the guys that worked for me committed suicide. And it, I mean, that was, it really mm -hmm. bothered me a whole lot because I didn't see it coming. And mm -hmm. I talked to him a lot about it. 
he was a young guy. He was like 35 years old. His wife died. She had uh, MS, and mm -hmm. she was 32 years old. And when I met her, she looked like she was 75 years old. I mean, mm -hmm. she just this disease just tore her up. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, he was working, and she went with her mom and dad to mm – -hmm. They were out of town somewhere, like not camping, but uh, right, right. Mm -hmm. They're out of town anyway. She got sick and she ended up dying at the hospital before he got there. Oh. And uh, you know, it was really sad, but yeah, I, I felt really bad for him and stuff like this, you know. So over the course of the year, you know, I, I would talk to him, "How you doing, Jeff? How you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay." And in fact, he would ask me one time. He goes, "Hey, do you know anybody that maybe want to go out?" And he was a nice looking guy. I go. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. there's a bunch of nice young ladies I know that would like to go out with you, you know. And uh, so the night before he ended up committing suicide, I had seen him. And I asked him, how's things going? Oh, I'm mm -hmm. okay. I said, good, okay. And uh, when I worked at Niasco, there was a thing that he had to park a pretty good distance away. He used to give me a ride out to my car. And uh, I talked to him in the, in the vehicle for a little bit before I left. And I said, well, you know, you just take it easy. I said, I think I got you lined up with somebody to go out with. He goes, oh, okay, yeah, thanks. So the next night, he doesn't show up to work. And finally, the captain calls me about 9 o'clock at night. He was supposed to be there. He goes, Jeff didn't show. I go, have you called his house? Yeah, we called there. And they went to his house. The back door's open. They go, we looked at his computer, and he wrote a note on the computer. Mm -hmm. So the guys called the police, the sheriff's department. They got out there. And uh, he jumped off a bridge. And uh, it was, um, yeah. Wow. And I mean, I just felt so bad about the whole thing that I talked to him the night before. He gave me no indications that he was mm -hmm. extremely depressed or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are, there, yeah, I mean, there are signs, of course, and symptoms, but they're not always obvious by any means. And also, it depends on who they're talking to, you know? They could, they, oftentimes it's, hidden oftentimes you know what well, someone's go through yeah they they hide it very well you know we at breaking taboo that's part of our mission is right. to teach people educate them on the subtle signs and symptoms and just you, oh, know, you know things like that is, but yeah. i even say say that to people uh same thing that that you tell your your team with them you know you can't save everyone it's the same with uh depression and suicide it's a complicated phenomenon and you know it's it's never your fault. It's just not your fault. I mean, I've lost people close to me to suicide and I definitely have blamed myself, well, you know, you multiple times. Yeah. yeah. And there's, that's what I'm saying by survivor's guilt is I definitely felt that and I felt it for years and it's hard to shake off. And it's definitely right. like, well, I could have done this. I could have done that. What if I did this? What if, what if, what if, but ultimately you just have to understand it's not your fault, you know, and right. it's harder, hard sometimes to understand. It takes time and, you know, you have to go through your own healing, but that's yeah, it's, one of the things that you go through, you know, and again, uh, even for yourself being depressed, you know, you know, the thing of it is, it makes you a stronger person too. Mm. You know, I, I can always get through something. I know, you know, I mean, mm. I don't give up easy. Like what very... doesn't kill you, make you stronger. Well, that's the whole thing. You know, I'm a very determined person. People will say I'm stubborn. <laughs> okay, you can get a stubborn, but I look at it this way. I'm very determined. When I make my mind up to do something, nobody is going to change my mind. Mm. You know I mean? It's mm. like, this is how it's going to be, you know, mm -hmm. especially about my capabilities. Mm -hmm. You know, I know what I can and can't do. 
So I would like to end this, James, with a, a question that I often uh, ask at the end, which is um, for people in the rescue force that may be going through PTSD and that, you know, conflict of, I need to be strong. I, I need to rescue other people, but yet they're still going through obviously very traumatic events. What would be your advice to them? Um, yeah. What would you like to tell them? When they, when you feel that you have that, okay, you need to talk to somebody, somebody that's non-judgmental. Okay. You can sit there and cry. We all cry. Nobody wants to admit they're going to cry, but you're going to cry because you're sad. You're hurt. You know, you're disappointed. You're, you're, and you, you feel so terrible. Well, you know, like I said, when you have children die on you or when a guy died on me with his little kids, grabbed me by the legs and don't let my daddy die. Yeah, it tore me up inside. I, I was terrible, you know? And even to this day, it's hard for me to talk about it. But I mean, I know those I feelings, tell. you know, how I felt. But to be able to go to somebody and say, I need to get this off my chest. I need to feel I'm okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I did the best I can do. Tell me I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And they've, they, they, they all have those support groups. And there's people that stay with that support group too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not one time on the mandatory thing, you know, and they, they, they're allowed to go to counseling, then that part there is, is kind of like a secret. They go in and on, nobody else knows that they're going. They mm-hmm. always make sure that nobody sees anybody come in and going out, that nobody knows. Mm-hmm. The so counseling and the rescue force, do. you mean? It's very private, it, confidential. It's very private at the time there. It's one-on-one. It's a non-judgmental thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a peer, another firefighter that's trained in there. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. sometimes it's a psychologist or psychiatrist that's mm-hmm. there, that's part of this team that they get there and they can kind of start breaking things down. Mm-hmm. And usually some of the things is your personal life comes into it too. Right, of course. Oh, I'm yeah. sure, yeah. And then, you know, you kind of get sometimes distance from your wife or your spouse or you don't interact with your kids. You know, you just want to be left alone. And that's something too that you've got to realize that you're not acting right. Now, everybody has a day that you wake up and you're not in a good mood. Or mm-hmm. I just feel down. I feel like overwhelmed with my life. You know, or where am I going in my life? Things are not going right. I didn't get the job I wanted. I didn't get the promotion I was supposed to get. My girlfriend just dumped me or my wife just dumped me. Um, all kinds of things go into a thing like that there. And then you get into the pity thing. But then you have to think of yourself like going, but I can change this. And the only thing that's ever going to change it is you. You mm-hmm. are the one that makes got to make that determination. I'm going to get myself out of this mood. So if I need to go out and watch silly movies or go out and hit baseballs or hit golf balls because I'm angry, you know, take that anger out on doing something like that. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't keep it bottled up. Yeah. And don't, and don't fight with your wife or your spouse or yell at your kids or spank your kids for no reason over something stupid. Take it out on something else that's, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. not another human being. Go hit and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And get it out of your system. Right. And, and just let it go and say, I did everything I can. I can't do any more about it. Mm-hmm. My father told me something was very interesting. My father was in the Marines during World War II. He was a drill sergeant. If you ever seen that movie, Full Metal Jacket, you see that drill sergeant screaming on how that was like my dad. He acted just like that. So mm-hmm. I was used to getting screamed at my whole life. Anyway, during World War II, he was at the Battle of Iwo Chima. And 
I didn't know it until I was 17 years old. I knew he was in the Marines, but I, I, I didn't ask questions, you know. And then he told me, and one of my friends was going in the Marines at the time, and what went on, he brought up a bunch of these photos and stuff of this thing. I mean, it was horrible. But my dad never talked about it until probably about a year before he was getting ready to die. Mm. And he told me, he said, you know, I woke up and he goes, this is really bothering me. I said, you've pushed this down so deep in your mind that you didn't even want to think about this for 65 years. He goes, right. He goes, I couldn't live with this because it was so terrible. That I had what I seen and what I was through and what all happened. And he goes, now I'm 82 years old. And now it bothers me. Mm, I said, interesting. I said, yeah. I said, that's how far we can push it down. So, but finally, it finally sticks up its ugly head that you have to face the fact of what had happened, mm -hmm. and you have to forgive yourself. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing. Forgive yourself mm -hmm. for what you've done wrong. What do you think you've done wrong? Yeah, I mean, avoidance never works. And it's amazing how many people try to avoid, avoid, avoid. Well, but again, it was not socially accepted to mm -hmm. show that men don't show their feelings. It's still not you know, <laughs> a lot. Yeah, they, they it's gotten better, them. but it's definitely still there's yeah, men, people in the rescue force. Well, they hold it in because we're macho. You know, we're the big tough guys, mm -hmm. you know, especially mm -hmm. the police officers, you know. The firefighters and even the medics. I think I would go as far as like even that stigma for women too, because you know I've definitely experienced that uh, growing up. Uh, I wasn't supposed to show my feelings. It just wasn't talked about in my family. Period. It wasn't a right. thing. Nobody talked about their feelings. Like what is that word? Doesn't exist. Right. You know. Right. So. Yeah, but also then there's also the stigma of like, you know, crazy women, like women being hormonal or whatever, and it's just. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's stigmas I mean, all around, taboos yeah. all around. But guys are like that too. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think that's great advice, James. And thank you so much, James. It was so much fun chatting with you as always. So anyway, um, sending you my love and definitely miss you. And <laughs> thank you so much for being a part of this. Yeah, thank you everyone for watching. Um, do you have any last words? The last no, little I, plug in. You know, you know, good luck to everybody. Still stay safe, you know. We'll all get over this eventually. You know, and yeah. uh, um, just hang in there, you know. But yeah. um, again, just to say this, you know, give the police officers the benefit of the doubt. It is a really, really hard job. You know, and these guys are dedicated to the job. And mm -hmm. again, they're not doing it for the money, mm -hmm. you know. So, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. we see police officers say thanks. Because right yeah. now they're getting, I mean, I, I feel bad for them. I really do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's really tough for them. So. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm, yep, definitely. There are, are a lot of good police officers out there yeah. who are saving lives. Who are mm -hmm. good guys, you know. And unfortunately, there's a few bad apples, and they try to get them out, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we'll figure out a solution to this uh, soon. And um, you know, yeah. But yeah, thank you so much, James. Have a great night. Okay, you too. You take care. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. Take care.